You are listening to the Life Church podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Mike Melito. Romans chapter 10, we're going to go back to that. And last week we talked about the gift of hope for our home. And I went over a couple of just some basic rules on, on how, to, how to do that, how to share the hope, the gift of hope with our home. And it was really more about um, things, maybe more things you ought not do <laughs> than uh, you ought to do. But uh, we talked about starting with the Christmas story, continuing with your story. And the third thing we said was to guard our mouths, right? We can get on a lot of soapboxes. We can get into a lot of discussions, a lot of debates. I don't know if you remember, I mentioned this. I'm known in the Peterdale family to just lob controversial topics on the table when we're sitting together for dinner and then sitting back with popcorn. And I confess that's probably, I need to guard my mouth. I probably need to not do that. I'll let you know how that goes this year. Uh, Thanksgiving went well, but Christmas is coming. So we'll see. Uh, you know, it, it was really hard for me not to do it. It's, it's, it's highly entertaining. But anyways, um, <laughs> leaving off the TV and being present, being where you are, arguably that's maybe one of the most important things. If you want to share the gift of hope, you need to be present. Your family, your friends need your presence more than they need your presence. You get that? Yep. Spell it differently with each word. You'll get it. They need your presence more than they need your presence. And, and, and I, I, I know we know this, but I'm just going to go ahead and say it. This is not your presence. Sitting in the same room together and, oh, look at that. Danya posted a picture, really cute picture of our dogs, you know. This is not being present, right? I, I looked around the room the other day, and my mom says this. And she, she'll see it. She'll sit in our living room, and she'll see all of us scrolling on our phones. She's like, this is great family time. This is fantastic. Well, we're together, but we're not present, right? We've got to be present. We've got to remove distractions. It, in my notes, it said, turn off the TV, and I remember thinking, you know what? Actually, that's probably a dated statement, because TVs are not as much our problem anymore as it is all of us are watching our own thing on our own devices, right? And so being present is really important if you want to bring the hope of Christmas to your family. But this week, we are going to talk about bringing the hope of Christmas to our, we're going to call it our town, our town, our city, right? What comes to mind when you hear the phrase, our town, for me, in high school, I don't know if any of you had to do this. In high school, I had to read the, the script for a play called Our Town. Did anybody have to read that? Our Town, right? And it was a story about an American town in the early 1900s. And it's just, you know, kind of idyllic. And, and it, it was, it's a nice story. Uh, it, you know, at that time, I felt it was boring. <laughs> you know, maybe I should return to it. There's some good stuff there. But that's what I think. As soon as I see Our Town, I think of that play. But what comes to mind for you? It used to be that we had like towns that were really their own communities, right? We had, the town had the town hall, they had kind of the town church, the, the town school, the town courthouse. In fact, if you go to, you know, like Danville or some of the other cities in Indiana, you still, they had the square, the town square with the courthouse in the middle, right? And, uh, and, and, and everybody in the town kind of knew everybody. That's our town. We really don't have that anymore, do we, right? 
Back then, if you had to go to another town to do something, like you had to go over to the next town because they have a store you don't have in your town, that was kind of a big deal. Like, I got to go all the way over to, well, Danville is pretty far from here, but like even Avon, I got to go all the way to Avon and that traffic, but it, it was just a big deal if you had to go from one town to the next. But today, we're pretty used to it. We're, you know, depending on the day, you might be in three or four different towns depending on your activity, right? It's just not the way it was necessarily today uh, that it was back then. So what is our town? You know, what, in, in this church today, sitting in this church, what would, if we all were gonna define what is our town, it would, I think it would be really hard because we have people here from Indianapolis, Pike Township, Wayne Township. We have people here from uh, Zionsville, from Lebanon, uh, from Carmel, from Avon, from Plainfield, all over the place. We, you know, sometimes from Greenwood. Am I missing anybody? Brownsburg. Brownsburg. How did I miss Brownsburg? <laughs> How did I miss Brownsburg? Noblesville. Huh? Noblesville? Noblesville? Did you say Noblesville? We have a Noblesville campus, but it is great to have people from Noblesville here. That's right. The Mendez family from Noblesville. That's right. We got people. So how do you define our town? Right? Because we're all from different towns. I think today we need to understand that our town, our city, so to speak, is a little more figurative. Your town, my town, is our community. The people that we brush shoulders with every week. Friends and family and coworkers, People we go to church with. People we talk to uh, online. That's our town. And I want to make sure we understand that clearly because it's just not the same as it used to be. Now, we do need to be concerned with our immediate surroundings, right? As a church, I want to see more and more people from this neighborhood and this neighborhood and this one right here coming to our church. This is, this is our immediate, this is our town. And we need to have influence here. And you need to have influence in your town with your neighbors, yes. But pan out a little bit more because neighbors don't even talk to each other anymore, Right? Right? We keep our front doors locked. If someone knocks on the door and we don't know who's coming, we all hide. We look out the window to see who it is. Don't act like you don't. We all do this. Turn off the lights. Who's here? Why are they here? Why didn't they tell us they were coming here? It's just not like it used to be. But the principles are the same. We just have to see it differently today. So we have to think about that. I want to go back to Romans chapter 10. And start in verse 8 and read this again. This is the message of faith that we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who call on him. That's you and me. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We talked about beautiful feet last week and, and how, you know, you know, the first beautiful feet in this world to bring the good news were G Jesus' feet as a baby. And baby feet are generally beautiful and cute, 
right? And as grown-ups, our feet are not normally something we really love to look at. Am I right? Like someone told me the other day, I was, uh, I was, who was my brother-in-law, Paul, um, and we were out in my yard and we were getting ready to make the turkey for, um, for Thanksgiving. We do this thing called trash can turkey. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, I know what it sounds like, but it's amazing. So we're outside, and I, I can explain it another time. I don't want to take time explaining it, but we, we cooked this outside, and I didn't have any shoes on, and Paul looked over me, and he goes, you've got hobbit feet. I'm like, dude, what? He goes, they're flat. You got no arch. I'm like, yeah, they're not hobbit feet. He's like, they, they look like hobbit's feet. In any case, like, I don't know if you're as conscious about your feet, but... In general, as a grown-up, we don't always go around saying, you have such beautiful feet. You know, sometimes, you know, a, a woman might get her, a, 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 um, her, thank you, a pedicure and, uh, and, you know, get some really nice shoes. And women might say, oh, your feet look great. I don't know. I've never actually heard that. I've never actually heard someone compliment someone else's feet. But this is a statement saying, when you carry good news, you are a beautiful person. That's what this is saying, right? And this is what you can do. You can bring hope to your family and hope to your town, and this is what the church does. The body of Christ is doing that today, proclaiming good news of great joy for all people, everyone, everywhere, and anyone who participates that, there's a beauty to it. And as we talk about our town, let's really bring it home. Again, Luke chapter 2, verse 8 in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the city of David... A Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. So it's a familiar story. The shepherds are just kind of going, uh, uh, minding their own business, right? When the announcement of Jesus' arrival comes to them from heaven. And you, have to, you really have to put yourself in their shoes to understand how terrifying and how amazing that really was. Years ago, when I was in uh, uh, Valley Forge, University of Valley Forge, um, finishing my last year of college, Donya and I were uh, married at the time. We lived in, in an, a small 250-square-foot apartment on campus. Yeah, we didn't get any space from each other. When we had fights, one of us had to leave the, the apartment, which never happened anyway. We never fought. So... Um, we just have intense fellowship. But um, so <laughs> we were there, and I was um, studying one night. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a night owl, and uh, I'm studying. But, but we also had a friend uh, that I had from another college staying at our apartment with us at the time. And so it got to be around, I don't know, 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning, and I needed a break. Just my head was kind of spin in with everything I was studying and the, there was a paper I was working on. And so I, like a good friend, I went, my friend was sleeping. I went and woke him up, said, hey, let's go get some coffee. Let's go get something. And he's just like, okay, Melito, whatever you say, you know. So we go and, and we get some coffee and we say, I just needed to get some air. And springtime was kind of coming around. And we go to Valley Forge National Park, which 
that's where the college that I went to was really close to that beautiful national park. It's just kind of in the middle of nowhere. There's deer everywhere. They have no fear of the Lord. They will come right up to your car. And, uh, and it's, it's funny. But we're there, and it's, you know, it's like 1.30. It's, it's really late. And we're talking. We're sipping our coffee. He had tea. And I look off on the horizon, and I see what looks like Daybreak about to happen. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been up that early? You know, just kind of in the first part of the sky, it starts to kind of turn a, a light blue. And I see that, and I'm going, how long have we been out here? And I look at my watch, and it's still only like, it's not even quite 2 a.m. And so I'm like, what is going on? And before I knew it, that light had reached right over top of our heads, and now it was different colors. Some of you are like, Pastor Mike, what kind of drugs did you do in college? <laughs> Well, I was worried about that at first. I was like, what's in this coffee? You know, and we look around, and, and they were moving a little bit, right? And, uh, and it, was, yeah, it was aliens, right? They were, well, I didn't know what it was, honestly. Some of you already knew what, what it was, and at this point, I'm just, I didn't know what it was, right? First, first thing I did is I looked at my friend. I said, Adam, are you seeing this? Like, because I want to know, am I the only one seeing this right now? He's like, no, I see it. I was like, okay, so I'm not crazy. Okay, so what's in our drinks? <laughs> like, what, what, you know, we went to a place called Wawa, which is, you know, that's, it's a really great convenient mart. And, um, you know, what did they put in our drinks? Maybe they didn't want to work that late and they were, you know, put something, but no. But we didn't know what we were looking at, but we stayed and watched and, and uh, it was getting even later. It got close to three, and so we go back to the apartment. And again, like a good husband, uh, I go in and I rush in. I'm excited. Like, this was awesome what I just saw. It just blew my mind, right? And I go in and I wake Danya up to share this amazing news with her. She was thrilled. <laughs> she couldn't believe it either. She literally couldn't believe it, and she couldn't believe I woke her up. So I'm like, no, look, it's got to be on the news. Let's turn on the TV, you know, and come to find out. Some of you already had figured this out. I didn't at the time because I just assumed this would never happen as far south as we were. But there was a, a unique night where the Aurora Borealis, the northern lights, were going to be visible that far south. And we got to see it firsthand, my, me and my friend Adam, and it was amazing. It's probably a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I hope it happens again, and I hope the next time it happens, Danya's with me so she can understand why I was so crazy and excited about it. Um, and I hope you get an opportunity to see it. But in some measure, when I think about the, the shepherds minding their own business, doing their own thing, and angels showing up, I, I, in some measure, I think it might have been a little bit like that, probably a whole lot more terrifying I know that sounds weird to talk about angels as terrifying, but don't you think if you're out there in the middle of the fields and an angel, not a cherub, not one of these cute little angels, but a warrior angel, you know, comes and shows up and lights all around them, that would be terrifying, right? And they might be thinking, oh, we've been out here too long. Are you seeing this too? Like, I don't know what they're thinking, but they're minding their own business and they see these angels and they are on this lonely hillside and you have to kind of wonder, after the angels said, don't be afraid, were they com comforted, right? If, if I'm there and, and an angel says, don't be afraid, like, will it be that quick for me to be like, oh, okay, I'm not afraid anymore, cool, just because you said so. Would they feel comforted or maybe would they feel confronted? 
You know, this is an angel from heaven now standing before me. You know, and this is heaven. They know, you know, God knows everything about my life. He knows everything that I've done, everything that I haven't done, all the things that I've said, all the things that I've thought. And now there's an angel in front of me. Would I feel confronted? Right? I think it'd be a little bit of both, confronted and comforted at the same time, if that, those two things can exist together. I think they can. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. But I will tell you this, when the Lord confronts me, there is that uneasiness about confrontation, but there's also a comfort in knowing that he loves me enough to try to do something about the things that I'm doing. He doesn't leave me to my own devices. But did they feel comforted or confronted? And I think it's similar what happened for them. It's similar for what it's like when we finally make a decision to be a Christian. Typically what happens in our lives if we're living and we're not yet living for Jesus, we're kind of going about minding our own business and suddenly because of some life event or something uh, that has happened, we are confronted with the existence of God, the existence of Jesus. And you really can't just ignore that. When you're confronted with the fact that God exists, that Jesus exists, that he existed in history, that he laid down his life and he was crucified and rose again, when you're confronted with that fact, you can't pretend that away or ignore it. You have to be honest and make an honest decision in those moments, right? So the question then is, what if you were confronted by an angel? If something like that hasn't happened in your life, whether it's directly from an angel, I do pray that you get confronted with the reality of the Christmas story. It actually happened. God actually came to earth. Jesus was actually born. He actually proclaimed the truth and healed the sick. And then he actually died on the cross. And he actually rose again, bringing victory and sharing it with you and bringing heaven to earth. And for many... When you start to consider those truths, it gets scary. It gets scary for lots of different reasons because what implications does it have on the way I'm living my life? When you really consider it. And sometimes you may have come up going to church services or events and you hear good sermons about how much God loves you and how much he wants to forgive you and how much grace he has for you, all things that are true, but he also loves you enough to help do something about the way you're living. And that can be very scary. That's where faith comes in. I follow uh, an author, um, some of you may know, his name's Jordan Peterson, he wrote a, a book called 12 Rules for Life, and he wrote a few other books. Um, and he's, you know, he's all over the internet, on YouTube. You can find clips of him. He, he's he's a, a psychologist. He's a, he's a very deep thinker. Um, and it, we're going to show a clip here in just a minute. But there's a clip where he is talking to someone. They're doing an interview over Zoom or something. And he's talking about Jesus and in the middle of this conversation, he starts to realize, I think I actually believe this. And he starts to break down. He starts to have a meltdown right in this interview. And he says something that's just remarkable. He's like, he, he says, this is scary to think about what this means. But he was having, he was being confronted in that moment with the reality of Jesus. Let's watch the clip. 
So, okay, so you can think about Christ from a psychological perspective, and the, the, criti the critic, my critic, this particular critic that I've been reading, said, well, that, that doesn't differentiate Christ much from a whole sequence of dying and resurrecting mythological gods. And of course, people have made that claim in comparative religion. Joseph Campbell did that, and Jung to a lesser degree, I would say, but Campbell did that. But the difference, and C.S. Lewis pointed this out as well, the difference between those mythological gods and Christ was that there's a, there's a representation of there's a historical representation of his, of, of his existence as well. Now you can debate whether or not that's genuine. You can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that, but it doesn't matter in some sense because this, well, it does, but there's a sense in which it doesn't matter because there's still a historical story. And so what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived plus a myth and in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that, but I don't okay. know. I don't, I'm amazed at my own belief and I don't <laughs> understand it. Like, because I've seen. Sometimes the objective world and the narrative world touch you know, that's Jungian synchronicity. Yeah. And I've seen that many times in my own life. And so in some sense, I believe it's undeniable. You know, we have a narrative sense of the world. For me, that's been the world of morality. That's the world that tells us how to act. It's real, like we treat it like it's real. It's not the objective world, but the narrative and the objective world touch. And the ultimate example of that in principle is supposed to be Christ. But I don't know what to, and that seems to me oddly plausible. Yeah. Well, but I still don't know what to make of it. It's too, partly because it's too terrifying a reality to fully believe. I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed it. If you believed in the story of Christ, or if you believed that history and, and let's say the narrative make meet, let's say. Both, I yeah. think. I think you. Because when you believe that, you buy both those stories. You believe that yeah. the narrative and the objective can actually touch. No, he uh, <clears throat> he doesn't talk like a normal human being sometimes, but talking about some uh, terms. But uh, I love what he says towards the end. He says, it would be terrifying to think what it would mean for a person who decides to believe that. He's being confronted, and, and you can just watch it happening in real time where he's saying, he, he says all he has to say, and he's kind of struggling through it, and he says, you know, the odd thing is, I think I actually believe that. Have you come to a place like that? Have you come to a place where, you know, it's not that this, the gospel was, a, was new information to Jordan. You know, for many of us in the United States, the gospel isn't necessarily new information. But there's a moment in our lives, and hopefully this has happened for you, and if not, maybe it's happening right now, where the reality of the gospel is hitting you right between the eyes. There might not be a, a visible angel right now confronting you, but you're being confronted by heaven with the truth. 
And if it hasn't happened already, I pray it will happen for you. So what did the shepherds do when, they, when this happened? And you're like, what does this have to do with, you know, hope for our town? Well, it starts with me, and then it starts with individuals. We don't just do something and change a whole town. Individuals, hearts, people. God cares about people, their lives. You want to change your town, it's going to be person by person. So what's the first thing the shepherds did when the angels came? The first thing they did was they went to find Jesus. Now, some will say they wanted to go verify this because they were skeptical. That might be true, but the angels actually told them basically to go look for him. There's going to be a sign. Look for a baby. Go look for a baby wrapped in cloth and in a manger, right? So it wasn't necessarily that they weren't trusting. Maybe there was a little bit of that. Like it's still, I mean, if, if you put yourself in their shoes again, you're seeing a supernatural apparition of an angel telling you something there's probably, I would think that carries a little bit of credibility, maybe. Maybe where you would question it is if you're questioning your own senses, <laughs> right? But we need, we need to do that anyway. We need to verify things, right? We need to trust but verify. We'll say that's what they're doing. They're trusting, but they're verifying, right? Trust doesn't come easy these days, does it? No. Listen, um, the Pew Research study found in 2019... In 2019, before COVID, before 2020, 2019, Americans' trust for government was at an all-time low in 2019. <laughs> that was, I don't know where it is today, but it's got to be lower than that after everything we've seen in the last couple of years, right? But, it, but and so we've, we've got a hard time being able to trust anybody, but as hard as things are on earth to trust, we can trust God. And that should inspire us to search for him that much more. You're not going to find trustworthy information on the internet. <laughs> You're not going to find trustworthy information on the news. You're definitely not going to find trustworthy information just from one political party or the next. You're not going to find trustworthy information from your favorite artist or uh, movie star doing their, their latest soapbox, right? It, it, all the information we get, at the very best, is one-sided, right? But when we go to Jesus, when we go to his word, as we've learned, especially in 2 Samuel, God holds nothing back from us. We get the whole truth and nothing but the truth, and we praise God for that because there's nowhere else in this world where we're going to get that kind of truth. And the shepherds received that truth and went to go find the truth. That's Jesus. Jesus is the truth, Right? The shepherds weren't really well-to-do. I think most of us know that they had a messy job that nobody else wanted to do. They were a culture unto themselves. And they were known, people didn't trust shepherds, whether because they were untrustworthy or because they thought they were crazy. And if they thought they were crazy, I think it's interesting that angels would come to the shepherds first. Because when the shepherds go tell people about it, what are they going to think? That they're crazy, but that's what God did, and that's just a whole other story. But they went to find Jesus, and they found it to be true, right? They, they, did, they cast away their fear, and they found the good news of great joy, and they went and saw him firsthand, 
firsthand experience for themselves, it, finding Jesus after that encounter became their top priority. Is finding Jesus your top priority? Experiencing his truth, his life in your life, is that your top priority? Honest truth, be real right now. The Holy Spirit is here and he will, he will bring you to the truth and it might be confrontational, but you should also be comforted in that because he loves you enough to bring you there. Is finding Jesus the top priority in your life? You can't think about bringing hope to your town if you're a nominal, lukewarm, bench-sitting Christian. You can't. That's not bringing light to your town. I love you, but it's not going to happen. You can't bring light and hope to your family if your Christianity is defined by going to church twice a month on Sunday and saying a prayer before a meal, and that's it. You're not going to bring much hope. That's not showing that Jesus is first priority. It was their first. They left the sheep in the fields. That is a huge factor to consider. Angels came and said, a savior has come. Go look for him. They left and they went and looked for him. It was the top priority. Above what has been the priority of their lives for years, they left that and went to look for Jesus. Is he the top priority in your life? Would you be willing to make a decision like that? Would you be willing to look at the life in front of you and maybe you don't have to leave work to, to make Jesus a priority. Maybe you make Jesus a priority at work and now you're looking for ways to bring hope to your town, to your work. So they find Jesus. What's the next thing they do? They worshiped. They worshiped. And today that word worship is misunderstood. It's not a song service, right? I don't know if they sang. Maybe they did but it's, more, it's far more than a song service. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's living for Jesus. And here's the truth of the matter. We worship, every one of us, everyone here worships. You worship, I worship. We were created to worship. It's in our nature to worship. Uh, the question isn't whether we worship, it's who or what we are worshiping. We worship lots of things, don't we? Some people, I'm, I know nobody here, I know nobody here, but some people might worship like the NFL. <laughs> or college football, maybe. I don't know. It's easy for me to point that out because it's not, it's not an issue for me, necessarily, but some people worship their belongings. Some people worship money. Some people worship their significant other. Some people worship a, a, a musician. Some people worship, I mean, there's all kinds of things that we could worship. The question isn't whether you are a worshiper. The question is who or what are you worshiping? And when you go after Jesus and when you find Jesus, the right response at that moment is worship. What do you mean, Pastor? I've, you know, some of you are sitting here going, I found Jesus when I was 12 years old, whatever. Finding Jesus, yes, at, at the first time you find Jesus in your life, when you come to know him and you're saved, it's, it's a moment in history that you should remember. And yes, you should worship at that point. But I don't know about you. I've been living for Jesus for some time now, but there have been many times since the first time 
that things have happened in my life, people have entered my life, situations have happened where I find Jesus in them. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Someone has a word for me. Someone does an act of kindness for me. A situation that looks hopeless. God comes through. Um, a person has a change of heart that you just know had to be God because they were like the most stubborn person in the world. You find Jesus more times in your life than the first time. And when you find Jesus, worship is the right response, right? They had no choice. Now, the shepherds, they had no choice in honoring or in, in, in some ways, worshiping Herod and Caesar. But with Jesus, they did worship him, but it was a choice. They had a choice with this matter. You have a choice with this matter. Your town, every one of us has a choice about what we're going to do with Jesus. And that's really what the message is about today. When you have an encounter with Jesus, and when you are confronted with truth, you get to decide what your response will be. Some people get defensive, some people avoid, and some of us worship, right? Worship the way they did, making Jesus our top priority. In the Old Testament, the book of Joel, there's a verse that says, you will seek me, and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart, top priority. Jesus is worthy of that. He's more worthy of being your top priority than anything or anyone else in this world. Your boss, your employer, did not die on the cross for you. I don't have anyone in my life, even the people who love me very much, standing in line waiting to die on a cross for my sin. I don't have that. Jesus is the only one who's done that. He made me a priority. He made you a priority. There's nobody else and nothing else in your life that will do that for you. He is worthy of being a priority. He's worthy of being worshiped. And they made a decision to agree with that and say, amen, we're gonna worship. And then finally, the, the third thing they did is they told others what they had seen. Now, remember, they have a reputation for being crazy or maybe not trustworthy for different reasons. But God uses things like that in this world so that he gets credit for those things, right? In our weakness, his strength is made perfect. He uses the foolish things to confound the wise. That's how God works. And so he takes these shepherds and he reveals himself to these shepherds. And what do they do? They worship him and they tell other people what they saw, right? And you and I are here. We are here because that happened. We're here because they told other people that Jesus was here. You and I are here not just because that happened, but somebody told you. Somebody told the person who told you. Somebody per told the person who told the person to tell, you know what I'm trying to say, yeah. right? I needed to practice that better. None of us would be here if it wasn't for the fact that somebody encountered Jesus, worshiped Jesus, and then told us about Jesus, right? We wouldn't be here. None of us would be here. That's the purpose of the church. God's plan was to build his church here, near, and far so that all people, everyone everywhere, could hear the good news of great joy. And we need this now more than ever. We have more connection 
with each other every day, but it also seems like all the information that we're having is causing more isolation. I said, we can't just believe just about anything on the internet. There's lots of information on the internet, right? We're swimming in it. Maybe you've, some of you have seen this on the internet. I saw this meme years ago. We're, we're swimming in information, but we're starving for wisdom. The world needs to hear about Emmanuel, God with us, the truth. And the truth is a person, Jesus. And people need that to know, to know they're not alone, even though they may feel alone. Even the people who are on social media looking like they're living the most amazing life, putting the best face forward, but they're isolated. That's why we've got to be present, by the way. When you're at your Christmas gatherings, if you're all sitting in a room, you're all together, but you're all looking at your phones, you're in a room together, isolated. And that's a problem. The world needs this message because everyone has gotten that way. Did you know, I learned this from uh, another friend, Pastor David uh, Wigington. He was uh, in Japan, actually with Pastor Nathan not too long ago. Did you know that in Japan, uh, in the government offices there, they have a, uh, a role, a position called the Minister of Loneliness. This is a government position, the Minister of Loneliness. 37 million people in Tokyo alone, and Japan is calling loneliness an epidemic in their nation. So they actually have a government role to help tackle the loneliness that people are experiencing because that's leading to depression, that's leading to suicide, that's leading to all kinds of issues. And we know, by the way, that loneliness is devastating our culture, too. We don't have a minister of loneliness, but we certainly have all kinds of lonely people, right? By the way, you heard us talking about Blue Christmas earlier on the 17th. The holidays, Christmas in particular, if a person is lonely, they're that much more lonely during Christmas. Whether it's because they lost a loved one, or they're not, they, you know, their family's on the outs, whatever it might be. That's why we do Blue Christmas. Because it's still good news to that person that Jesus came. Not necessarily to, you know, make them happy automatically, but so that they know, you know, if you're here and that's you, you're not alone. You may feel lonely, but you're not alone. And we want to have an opportunity for you to experience the fact that you're not alone. So think about coming to that. But there's good news to this. Psalm 68, verse 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. God sets the lonely in families. Your town, our town, needs that message. Right? They need to know that they're not alone, they need to know that they're loved. They need to know what Jesus had done for them. They need to know that they can trust Jesus. They need to see a person living his or her life as though Jesus is top priority so they could see how it works, right? And dynamic things take place when you tell a person good news, God will take care of you, and then you help take care of them, right? That food pantry that 
they had at Fishers a couple weeks ago and that we're going to have this Saturday. That's why we do things like that. Because it's not enough. I don't feel like it's enough to say, oh, you don't have groceries. We'll pray for you. Because oftentimes that's good. But the way God will answer that prayer is through his people. Through you. And so we don't want to just say, oh, I'll pray for you. We want to put some action behind that and show them Jesus, right? And a dynamic thing takes place when we share the good news, but then we also show the good news. They get to hear about Jesus, then they get to see Jesus in you, right? It's why we do those things. It's why we, we do benevolence. It's why we do what we do as a church. It's why uh, Dr. Vinod and, and Sue are starting the Agape Wellness Clinic. It's one thing to say to a person, oh, you're sick, I'll pray for you. It's a whole other thing to say, oh, I will pray for you, and I'm going to use my gifts to help make you well. Because God gave me those gifts to do that, right? It has that much more impact. And so we, we've got to share it with our town. And Christmas presents more opportunities to do that. The awareness, the overall general awareness of Jesus, Christianity, God, is at an all-time high during this time of year. People are, are more likely to accept an invitation to church. They're more likely to, to maybe reach out to the Lord. We've got to make the most of that opportunity to share Jesus the way the shepherds did, right? And there's this huge effort, we know, all the time to try to take Christ out of Christmas, right? And when you take Christ out of Christmas, you're just left with a huge amounts of stress and loneliness. But when you put Christ back in Christmas and you help other people do the same thing because you're sharing Jesus, when you get confronted with Jesus, think about the significance of being confronted with Jesus when you think about his birth. When you do what the shepherds did, you put Jesus back at the center, you find him, you worship him, and you share him, and your life becomes so meaningful. What if you saw an angel today? What if you were confronted by an angel? Better yet, what are you going to do now that you've caught a glimpse of the good news and experienced a little bit of heaven worship today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your, your word and we thank you for sending Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for laying your life down for us. But you came to the lowest place, the dirtiest place, the poorest place. In a lot of ways, we should be encouraged by that, Lord, because you could come to us and you do come to us in our lowest place, our dirtiest place, our poorest place. You come to us in those moments. And we want to respond to you with worship and devotion because you're worthy and because you made us a priority. And this morning, as, as we just discuss this and we talk about the significance of the angels coming and being confronted with the reality of Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in every heart and speak. Maybe there's some here this morning that need to respond to that reality for the first time.
Or maybe there are some that have known you and love you but are being challenged about their priorities. And it's your love and your mercy that is calling that out in them. I pray, Lord, there be freedom to respond. Lord, thank you. If you would just keep your eyes closed for a moment, and I, I just want to, I want to give you a chance to respond to what God's saying to you. And this moment right now is between you, me, and the Lord. You say, Pastor Mike, I need to respond to the reality of Jesus today. I've known about him. Maybe, maybe you're like that guy, Jordan, that I showed the video of. You've known kind of about the gospel, but you're just kind of realizing today that it's real, that it's true, and you want to give your life to Jesus. You say, that's me. This morning, Pastor, will you pray for me? Would you just lift a hand and let me know? It's coming, it's becoming real in my heart, Pastor. Pray for me. Maybe you're being challenged about your priorities. I think all of us probably at certain points in our life need to be challenged about our priorities. So I don't want you necessarily to think you're the only person who's gotten your priorities out of whack. All of us do that. But this morning, if the Lord's dealing with you on your priorities, you, you really ought to respond to him. It's grace and mercy. It's not condemnation when you do that. It's condemnation when you avoid him. But when you come to him in these moments, it's grace and mercy, which will inspire you to change your priorities. You say, Pastor, that's me. My priorities are a little bit out of whack. I love Jesus with all my heart, but my choices and my schedule do not reflect that. Would you please pray for me, Pastor? Amen. Already some hands are going up. That's me, Pastor. Amen. Yeah. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.